Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Even right back to Ryan Bullock, stretched ahead for Matt Barzell. He's got Bovilli in break in. Islanders country, hello. This is P.T. Isles, the Bobalicious edition. I'm Isles Boggs, Joe Bono. A reminder, you can subscribe to this show and all Lighthouse Hockey podcasts on iTunes. Please rate and review or find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or over at LighthouseHockey.com. Lighthouse Hockey, your SB Nation home for your New York Islanders coverage. Today I'm joined once again by Isles Blog contributor and New York Post digital producer Rob Taub. Rob, the Islanders have advanced past the qualifying round to the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and now they know their opponent. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, uh, everyone wanted them to play the Caps. Everyone's getting their wish. So it, it should be a fun series. Even some of the quotes that came out today earlier from the players and from Trotz and from uh, Todd Reardon, the head coach of the Capitals, it's going to be a very, very interesting series. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, people are ready to go, and I mean, you have to wait till the game's over, Rob. You can't just start tweeting stuff out, you know, before the game is actually over. I'm I not sure gonna, if I have to tell I you that after this speech. <laughs> to my uh, defense, I was not the only one. I was not the only one who did it. So, but, you know, lesson learned, and, you know, hope, hopefully uh, Columbus takes care of Toronto tonight, and I won't have to worry about that again. <laughs> so, for our audience, right, Rob got a little – got a little uh, – Quick there, uh, kind of pronouncing the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs dead, like probably 99% of uh, all Leafs fans as well at the third period. And, um, of course, they had one of the greatest comebacks in 
really NHL history um, and what has been the best series of a lot of really, really good series uh, that we've seen so far in the playoffs. But uh, Islander fans are ready to go. As soon as the game ended, the clock hit triple zero. They all put out their tweets about Barry Trotz, and everyone remembers what he said to the Capitals when he was in their locker room last season and received his Stanley Cup ring uh, that you're going to have to go through the you know bleeping island. And uh, they won't have to actually play on Long Island. They'll be playing in Toronto. But um, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a very interesting series. And listen, the Islanders have had their well-documented troubles with the Boston Bruins for a long, long time now, although they did, you know, win a game this year against the Bruins up in Boston. So um, they have a familiarity, obviously, with the Capitals, even without Barry Trotz being behind their bench because they play so much in the division. Of course, the playoff series from 2014-2015 season, a lot of Capitals are still on that team from that time. The Islander roster has really turned over much, much more than that. Um, but um, I'm sure Barry Trotz is itching at the chance of taking on his own t- old team. I think it's going to be it's going to be a hell of a storyline. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's going to have the Islanders ready to go. I, I think this is the kind of opponent that maybe almost you were looking forward to. You know. It, it, Trotz, he, he had so much success in Washington. And, you know, I saw Dmitry Filipovich's tweet right after the game was over against the Bruins earlier where it said, being the guy who you could tear down what you built up, I thought that's just, you know, that's just such karma that it could happen that way. But, no, I, I, I think that Trotz is going to have them ready. I think they're going to be motivated. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, we mentioned everything uh, revolving around the series. You know, the funny, the funnier part was, you know, the Lubomir Brzezowski part of it, which I was having a laugh myself before. You know, everyone remembers what happened. And, you know, Tom Wilson is not an, not that hard a person to forget. So get that hatred going, get, get, all, the, get all riled up. It, it's going to be a fun, intense series. It'll be interesting to have kind of that, uh, you know, you always have in the playoff series the one villain or multiple villains on the team that, you know, you're waiting for that opportunity uh, for them to come into your building to kind of serenade them throughout uh, the playoffs. That, of course, will not happen here. But also it will be interesting to see how Islander fans um, target uh, Tom Wilson like many fans around the NHL do. Uh, and, uh, you know, he shows the, he shows the ability. You can, you can boo him and get on him for his antics, but, you know, he'll find a way to put the puck in the net as well so, and, and get the last laugh. Uh, which makes um, and then obviously Barry Trotz has had a lot of complimentary things to say about him as the play, as a player, um, having been his former coach. Um, let's talk obviously about the series that just ended. Islanders have played five games now: um, the tune-up game against the Rangers, and then the four games against the Florida Panthers. And they played, you know, quote Islanders hockey throughout. They were in control pretty much for long stretches of each game in the series. And if if Varlamov doesn't uh, touch that puck outside the trapezoid and give uh, Florida a power play, maybe the Islanders go on to sweep the Panthers. But um, overall, I think we were looking for the Islanders to kind of reset themselves and find. Mm-hmm that way and style of play that they had earlier in the season when they went on that 15-0-2 stretch. And we really did – we really have seen nothing but that since they've been in the bubble in Toronto. I thought that they were great the entire series. I thought 5-1-5, five five, they dominated. I thought special teams, they won the battle, which I thought was going to be crucial going into the series. You know, Semyon Varlamov didn't have a lot of work to do, but, you know, he came up big when, when the time uh, was necessary. And, you know, we got – you got contributions for up and down the lineup. I, I know it took – 
the first line to get to get themselves going a little bit. You know, it took a few games for Matthew Barzell. But, you know, once he once he did, he was shot out of a cannon. You know, you got goals from Jordan Everly. You got a ridiculous performance from Anthony Bavillier. You got J.J. Pajot, who was just a monster the entire series, who we'll get to in a minute. But I just thought that they got the contributions they got from everyone is why they won the series and why they were able to play their game to a T. And I think that they, they found that next level. I think – I think that that break, uh, as much as people will say, you know, as bad as it was, it it helped them. I thought the exhibition game really helped them to get, you know, start fine tuning them. And I, I just think that they they outplayed Florida in every in every facet. Uh, I thought I thought watching each game, I was like, I was just waiting to see when the Islands might crumble a little bit. But you know, one of Barry Trotz's famous sayings is, you know, bend but don't break. And I saw I thought we saw that a lot from the Islands in this series. They were resilient. They were on top of Florida when they needed to be. They got big-time goals. They got big-time moments from big-time players. The defense was great. They shut down. They only allowed uh, – I think I saw this that yesterday. They allowed the trio of Huberto, Barkov, and Dadanov two goals the entire series. That's – that's come on. You, you were not expecting that with how good Florida's attack is. So, I think that, you know, they, they were great the entire series. You know, hopefully it, it keeps on going into against Washington because it's another very tough opponent, another high skill, high octane team. But I think it might. I think because of what the Islanders did in this first series, I think it'll really, really help them going. You know, going into this week. Yeah, the Islanders actually played with the lead for one hour and twenty minutes of the two hours and forty minutes <laughs> of the series. So half the series they had the lead and they only trailed. Um, for 20 minutes and 50 seconds in game two and 40 minutes and 13 seconds of, of game three. Even when, even when they, um, failed, we, they, were, we, they were the better team. They were the better. Absolutely. Yeah. And listen, at five on five, they were lights and, you know, head and shoulders better than Florida. We're just trying to stay out of the penalty box and give their old world yeah. power play an opportunity. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Sometimes they would, you know, the power play would start and, you know, be 12 seconds into the power play and you know, they already scored. That's how, that's how good and dangerous. Mm. Uh, that Florida power play is uh, Islanders, 13 players with points in the series, contributions up and down the lineup, 13 uh, players. Again, at least one point, seven different Islanders uh, scored a goal, five points for Anthony Beauvillier, three goals and two assists. And Josh Bailey doing what he does best, four assists in the series for him, as well as Devontae's having four assists in this series as well. Uh, this was Barry Trotz after the Islanders clinched the series, talking about how everyone is pushing in the same direction. We have a pretty mature group, and then the guys that we've added, a guy like Bajot and Green, add to that. I, I think just we, under, we understand that the, a lot of times there's going to be emotional sways one way or the other. Sometimes there's nothing happening in the game for a lot of, a lot of the game, and then you know, all of a sudden something explodes and you, 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 know, you give up a chance or you get a chance, and and you just got to stay stay sort of even keel and, and work for that next moment. So, and uh, I think we've stayed pretty focused. I like I like their focus today. We there was only one end goal was to uh, be the better team today and and win a hockey game. There was no, um, you know, there was no me in that in anybody. It was it was all we and everybody was was uh, as I use the term pull on pulling on a rope. I, I didn't have any passengers. And our bench would not allow anybody to be a passenger, which is a great sign. So, Rob, Barry Trotz talking about the maturity of this roster. And before these qualifying rounds 
started, um, you know, there was some, and this was another, I guess, Rob Taub controversy talking about the average age of the teams that were in this <laughs> tournament here, and the Islanders had the oldest oh, roster. Man. And, um, you know, what does that mean? And, you know, certainly there are certain players that are on the other side of 30 that, you know, if you if they're not here, the Andy Greens, the Johnny Pojek, et cetera, the, med, you know, the middle average, the median average of age drops down, but they're still an older team. And, and we know this about the Islanders, even the players that they brought back this summer in free agency that are just starting long-term contracts, the Nelsons, the Everleys, the Lees. This is very much a now team when you're considering you know, the age of the roster and what these guys have been through uh, collectively or on other teams uh, for several years now. But, you know, Barry Trotz talking about that level of maturity and how it helped them in this series and how they were able to bring in players like Pajot and Green, who stepped in seamlessly for Johnny Boychuk after he got uh, knocked out of game one. Um, where that, you know, that really counts. I mean, that's, that's what people talk about yeah. when they talk about playoff hockey, the experience of maturity. So uh, something that maybe people are looking at as a bit of a negative, um, you know, should serve the Islanders well as they move forward. Oh, I think it's going to serve them very well. I, you know, when, when that, when Chris Johnson tweeted that, I was like, okay, you know, they are the oldest team, but this, this playoff uh, tournament was going to be, an even playing field for everybody. And, you know, we saw it with some of the teams that got knocked out. You know, you saw Pittsburgh get knocked out. You saw Edmonton get knocked out. You saw the Rangers get knocked out. It's an even playing field, and no one knows what can happen. So, you know, we talk about maturity, and you talk about the age of this team. There's – when a Stanley, a Stanley Cup team, you know, you look at some of the past ones, it's a mix of veterans and a mix of youth and just a little bit something special, uh, you know, sprinkled in. So I thought that, you know, I'll admit, I thought people did, you know, overreact to that, you know, to that tweet and to that information. But, you know, we, those, those people, they, I mean, I don't think that they watch the Islanders like many do on a, you know, on a daily basis. And then you saw it in the playoffs, you know, the, yeah, these guys, they have guys who are in their, you know, late 20s, and they are very much a now team, but they're also, like Barry Trout said, they're a mature team. They know the situation. They know what is in front of them, and they know how to win. So, you know, I I think, I don't know, I, I agree with you, Joe, with, uh, you know, the with like we said, we're bringing in the Pajos and the, and the Greens, and, you know, the veteran, this, the veteran leadership, you know, it, it comes into play here. And, you know, as much people like to, take away sometimes Stanley Cup experience. You know, I, I said something about Andrew Ladd, even though he wasn't going to play, I thought he, he's probably not going to play. You know, he's two Stanley Cups. Two Stanley Cups. That just doesn't go away. And that, you know, there's the guys in this in the room that, you know, that they'll benefit from that. And I think sometimes people don't realize the, the magnitude of having guys like him and Johnny Boychuk and, you know, just winners in general. They're, you know, a lot of times in the past few years, and I will say even that 2014-15 team, when the last time they did face the Capitals, they didn't have a lot of Stanley Cup, you know, a lot of that playoff experience. Yeah, they had Johnny Boychuk and they had Nick Letty. Who they, they didn't have anyone else. Now they have guys, now they have like a plethora of guys who, you know, they know what to do in these situations and they know how to play big in the, like in these types of ordeals. So I think that they're very much, they're, you know, I think they're very good going forward. And, you know, I think it will definitely help if they get like keep going as long as we think they're going to go. And, of course, they have the experience and the championship pedigree behind the bench, of course, with Barry Trotz oh, yeah. and his staff. And that, must, that might be more important uh, than anything. Uh, let's shift our attention to Anthony Beauvillier. I named this episode Beau Belicious because I was trying <laughs> to get Newsday 
to adopt that as the back page after the Islanders won in four games against the Florida Panthers. I was unsuccessful in that. Uh, I think they went with advanced chemistry. Very solid. I don't want to ever question their choices. Uh, but I thought right. Bobalicious worked because they're in the bubble, and it's Bobalicious, but it, Bo, it's Bobalicious, and he just was the best player uh, for the Islanders uh, really from the onset of this series. And, um, you know, not only did he lead the team in points with three goals and the two assists, he had 16 shots on goal in this series, Rob. He was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't new to Islander fans, but, of course, what he writes on his stick, the have fun, the reminder to himself, you know, kind of caught, I think, the eye of the larger NHL world uh, these past this last week or so uh, with the way he's played. And um, I want to just play what Barry Trotz has viewed as kind of the key uh, to his success here early in this playoff round. I just think right now that uh, Bo is in, just enjoying playing good hockey, and, and he's getting rewarded for, for it with uh, production. He is skating on the puck. Uh, he's working. Um, he's, he's just focused on you know, his job in that moment, and I, I think that's the, the maturity of a, uh, a good young player that in Bo. Um, I think earlier, uh, maybe a year or two back, you know, if he wasn't having any production, uh, he worried too much about that rather than just playing well. And he's just worried about, I'm just going to go out and, and play my best, and, and he's getting rewarded with playing uh, very well. The, the Beauvillier-Nelson-Bailey line was by far the best line. Islander fans, you know, waiting for that Barzell-Lee and Everly line to, to, to get going and, and maybe to get going really consistently and kind of follow up what they did there in game four um, as we head into the Capital Series. But that bow line was tremendous from the very first, uh, very first puck yeah, drop in the series. Absolutely right. And, you know, they we – we expected second. The biggest thing I thought coming into the series, other than you know the special teams battle, was going to be their secondary scoring because the Islands oh have they struggled a lot this year in the regular season with secondary scoring. But now you're seeing it come you know come to the forefront. And you you say Anthony Bovillia, I thought he was a tank this series. Uh, one of those guys that when he was on the ice every single time he was noticeable and he was making a difference. So I, I think we're just starting to see you know we're not even at the peak of what Anthony Bavillier can be. I want to see what he can do in this next series, uh, if he keeps it going. But, you know, Trotz mentioned his confidence. And, you know, I'll, I'll get to Nelson and Bailey in a second. But Bavillier, like, I, he came out of nowhere in this series. I was not expecting what I saw from Anthony Bavillier. And you saw a confident player who just was willing to put everything out there to, you know, to get his, to do what he had to do for his team. And, you know, Every, or even the little things, you know, the block shots uh, on the on the penalty kill, or just the the little the little smart play, the hustle play before uh, leading up to the Pajot goal. You know, we've seen that Anthony Bavillier before, but not at that level. I, I mean, I've always thought that ever since they drafted him, and he came into the league, there was a level that he was going to get to. And there are times over the past few years that, you know, he looked like he was not ready for it yet. And, you know, we were trying to figure out who is this guy? Is he going to be a top six? Is he a good, like a reliable top six forward? Or can he be a very sturdy, you know, third line player? I think we're getting, we're getting to know now. He, he can be a very, very good top six presence. 
And I, I think it, it's just about him having that confidence because when he plays that confidence, he's one of the hardest players to, to play against in this league because he's got the speed, he's got the determination, you know, he's got the quick edges, he's got every like all those intangibles that you bring to the table that you want in a player. And, you know, for a guy his size too, it's even more impressive because he's one of, those, one of the more smaller players in the league. So that, you know, that even impresses me more. But uh, getting away from him, going to the, you know, Nelson, I wasn't surprised by what we saw from Brock. He had another big year this year, you know, another 20-plus 20, 20 goal season. And, you know, he's become a playoff guy. He's become one of those playoff guys. You saw it last year against Pittsburgh. So I'm not surprised at that. I thought with Josh Bailey, I thought also it took him a few games to get going. I know he had an assist in game two. And then I thought, you know, he wasn't that great in game three. But in game four, he showed up just like he, he's made for these, made for these big-time games, made for the moment. You know, people people will like to, you know, throw flack at him for not doing something every time he's out on the ice. You know, that's not the way the guy is wired. Like, he does the little things that you don't expect, and then when you need him to have a really big game, he comes up what he did in game four where he had two assists. So that whole line was great. I thought the middle two lines were, the best, were really the best two lines in the entire series up until game four when the first line really took over. But, you know, that helps the Islanders moving forward. It's all about confidence, all about motivation. If they get guys like that, like the Bavilliers and the Nelsons, who, you know, they're going to be ready to go and do everything in their power to, you know, to make a difference in the series, you know, they're, they're going to be in really good shape, and it's going to really improve their chances. And we've seen these kind of streaks from Bovillier at times over the last few years. We remember when he went to Bridgeport, came back up and was on fire after that, but then he went into another big lull at the start of uh, last season. So, you know, is this just another phase of him being streaky or not? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So whether or not he's just being streaky again, I mean, if you're going to be streaky, catch fire and do so in the playoffs, just like, you know, Jordan Eberle did last year. Uh, the end of the end of the regular season, and then carry that into the playoffs, and really carry the Islanders through that first round sweep of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, but uh, you know, for the future of the Islanders, you really hope that he's able to kind of capture this, put a bottle on it, and really carry it forward for his career and his mindset and how he wants to play the game, um, because that would be huge for the Islanders if they can really count on him to be that type of I mean, productive I mean, top six forward uh, moving forward. I mean. He- He's only 23 years old, and people sometimes forget he's that he's still that young, and you know he he hasn't signed that that big contract yet. He's had two bridge contracts, which you know if if what we see now uh, is going to be what happens moving forward, then he you know he's going to earn a very big contract. But you're 100% right. They they need a guy like him for the future because they are still a little bit you know they don't have that much depth on the wings. They're still trying to build guys up like Wallstrom and, and Bellows, and hopefully they can make an impact. Hopefully they can come in and make an impact next year. But you know, Bavillier was reaching that point. I think before the like this was his. I think his, was this his third year in the NHL or his fourth this regular uh, before the this regular season. Do you know? It is well. He, remember, he actually made the team um, as a uh, you know nineteen year old the same year that Barzell yeah. only played the two games and went went back. So. Uh, this is his parts of four seasons now with the Islanders, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you would think after most guys, mo- mostly in the NHL, after about three or four years, you you kind of know what you have in a player. And I feel like, like I was saying before, I feel like the Islanders, you know, and, and the fans didn't really know what they had in this guy. Yeah, he, he scored 24 goals two years ago, and he was playing, you know, him and Matthew Barzell make a ridiculously fun pair to watch. But, you know, it was when he was going to do it without Barzell, like he did in this playoff series. And, you know, we're just starting to see, 
you know, just how good he can be. And, you know, it does. It, it's really, really big for the future that he continues on an upward trajectory because the Allen's are going to need a guy like him, you know, you know at, at 23 years old. And, you know, he can be an impact player for the next five or six years. And hopefully, you know, if they make, keep making the playoffs, continue to do what he does. But it all comes back to the confidence. If this kid, if Anthony Pavilion is playing with confidence, he's, like I said, he's one of the toughest guys to, to stop because he, he has a nonstop motor and he'll, you know, he'll basically beat it into you that, you know, he's not going to be denied, you know, a goal assist or whatever you're throwing at him. We'll be back with more of our chat with Rob Taub in a moment. You're listening to PT Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back. Joe Bono joined by Isles Blog contributor and digital producer for the New York Post, Rob Taub. PT Isles with you. And uh, Arthur Staple in The Athletic uh, wrote a column calling Beauvillier and Barzell the, you know, the B&B boys. And uh, he kind of mm-hmm. goes back to that draft night back in 2015. And, you know, it's always fun to reflect on draft night 2015 and, and, and kind of what it means now in real time as you watch, you know, what would this Islander franchise be like if that trade was not made? You know, Garth Snow with no first-round pick, able to trade Griffith Reinhardt uh, to the Edmonton Oilers for the 16th pick after Boston uh, decides not to pick Barzell after three consecutive choices. Islanders select Barzell with the 16th, and not only do they do that, they then package the 33rd pick that they got from the Oilers with another pick to move back into the first round and then take Anthony Beauvillier. And you go, what could this roster potentially be like? What would this franchise be like right now if the dominoes did not fall that way uh, with the Griffin Reinhardt trade, with the ability not only to draft Barzell, but also be able to get I don't back even want the to first imagine. round uh, and do it? So it to... just, you know, I mean, I, listen, yeah. we all know the history and we know how lopsided uh, that trade is, um, not only just from an Islander history part, but perhaps an NHL history part. We'll see what the rest of the. Um, you know, what the rest of the career of Matt Barzell is, for example. But I don't want to think, like you said, I don't want to think what it would look like <laughs> if, uh, if that trade was, was, not, think, was not made. I think the ah, I mean, it's, it's very clear. I mean, because remember, these guys aren't making money right now. So it's not like they, you know, they would have had to have spent some money on some free agents. Um, you know, so not only are these big-time productive players for the team, they're guys that have not made a lot of money and then has allowed them to, to spend elsewhere um, and still stay underneath the cap. Um, this I hadn't heard before, though. He, uh, Staple writes that um, while the, at the draft, an Islanders exec, executive grabbed him by the <laughs> shoulders when the first night ended and said, quote, someone's getting effing fired for this, in reference to yeah. Barzo slipping to 16. Um, but, again, it's been Beauvillier who made the team as a 19-year-old, played in over 60 games, um, and then has obviously been a, a, a big but not – consistent contributor for the last three seasons, uh, but having his best days as an Islander uh, right now um, with the four-game series.
series victory against the Florida Panthers. Um, another big series. You, uh, um, no, I was going to say, if, if, the Islanders, if the Islanders go have another, if they have a deep playoff run, you know, if they beat the Caps and they're, you know, they're on their merry way, then you can look back at that night as the defining moment of basically, basically, yeah, the defining moment of the Islanders like franchise in the past decade, because that was the night that everything changed for them. And they, you know, five years later, uh, you know, here we are and they have a chance to hope may hopefully maybe possibly play for a Stanley cup. You know, that, 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 that's just how crazy things are. And, you know, it, like you said, it, we don't want to think about what would happen if that trade was not made because you know, we we're so used to it's such a damaged fan base and you know, it, it's hard not to be negative sometimes. Why do you think I'm so positive on Twitter? Because I can't like, there's so much oh, negativity yeah. out there <laughs> and I, I try, I try and keep it as, as lighthearted and as positive as possible because I know how bad the fan, how badly the fans, you know, want to see this team win and how much they want to see the return to glory. And, you know, it, it's hard sometimes not to be, not to be pessimistic, but, you know, compared to where they were five years ago and where they are now, where they have a chance to go on a deep run, you know, this, the, this is the time you gotta, you gotta be happy with where they are. They have as good of a chance as anyone. You take away the home ice advantage oh, yeah. that they would have not had, that they wouldn't have had, obviously, in any of these series. Uh, the fact that they're healthy, I know, you know, you lose Boychuk, but Andy Green steps right in. You know, that's what was kind of expected mm-hmm. when we talked before the series about the depth on the Islanders' blue line. And they're playing with confidence. And listen, we'll see what that means for game one when the series gets started on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, obviously, the Capitals have a, a stacked roster and have a championship caliber uh, pedigree themselves and have you know, one of the best players in the history of the NHL on their team. So, uh, but the Islanders, I think, will be up for the challenge, and I would expect it to be a long series. Um, J.G. Pajot, um, kind of, you know, he played those games after the trade. Islanders didn't win any of them and mm-hmm. uh, makes an immediate impact in game one. And he talked about how the, the pause and then the summer camp kind of really helped him, you know, get to know the team and get to feel more comfortable with his surroundings and with his teammates. And that he said what I'm not surprised because we've heard it from current and ex-Islanders for many, many years now, how it really is a type of fraternity within this group and in that, in that dressing room. And he said fraternity, but maybe he meant frat house uh, with some of the pictures and videos <laughs> that we saw yesterday. Um, we know that Andrews Lee had organized the Boys of the Isle ping pong tournament. Um, and then yesterday we found out that not only was J.G. Pajot in the final, uh, he ended up winning the tournament and made a very dramatic entrance uh, into the uh, hallway corridor in the hotel uh, mm-hmm. beforehand, wearing his, his bathrobe and uh, coming out to music and, and then, like, uh, getting ready for a big fight. So uh, to say that he has fit in well and has already achieved uh, legend status, I would say, with some Islander fans is, is a bit of an understatement. Oh, 100% right. They- uh, J.G. Padjo is everything that the Islanders could have imagined him to be right now. And, you know, we'll, we'll worry about the contract down the road, but this guy is just, he's a bright, you know, one, like bright personality that, you know, he just brings something different to this room. You know, I think a few years back before, you know, Tavar- John Tavares left, I think that the Islanders did lack that sense of personality and character around the, like in the room and are, like in, and in some of the, some of the players and some of the veterans. I think, you know, now you take guys like, like yeah, J.G. Pajot, and, you know, he just brings that extra something to this team. And, you know, yeah, you mentioned the, the ping pong uh, tournament and the video, which I thought was hysterical. I thought it was classic that, 
but it, it's just it's just those little things that you know he's bring he brought he's bringing to this team that he's bringing to the franchise. You know he's already a fan favorite. I wrote about it uh, uh, last uh, I wrote about it last uh, during the series last last week that you know he's already one of the biggest fan favorites on the team, and I thought that that break and I also wrote about it during the break. I thought that it was going to help him massively, and everything Barry Trot said in the beginning of training camp about what uh, that break was going to do for him it come to fruition because. He's, he was a star the entire series. Yeah, I, I know he had a, a quiet game. He had the goal in game three, and you know he's a little bit quiet at that, but every other game he was making an impact, and that's what he's supposed to be here for. He's an impact guy, and it's not just reverberating in the locker room. It's outside the locker room, and you know that's great for a team that has to have camaraderie, and especially in these types of situations where, you know, like Barry Trott says, you, you don't know uh, what's called. You don't know until you know. You know, a guy like him, you know, he's been a perfect fit, and I am excited to see what he has left, what he has next in store, because we've seen him. He's a playoff performer, man. Uh, I think uh, Nick Alberger, who we, we know well as the Golden Muzzy, I think he said he has 16 goals now in 39 playoff games. That's a, that's a clutch guy. And I think he bring, him bringing that clutch nature to this team is everything that they – even more than they could have imagined. So I'm very I'm happy with the trade, um, you know, but what he's doing now and the character and the personality he's brought to the team, it, you were right. It can't be understated. And it's just, it's been a joy to watch. It really has been. No, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Not only did he score goals and I mean, I think Islander fans and Ranger fans remember how big he was in that series against the Rangers several years ago um, as like well when he was very clutch in that series. <laughs> and um, yeah. And, um, you know, not only did he have the very lighthearted moment on Instagram with the uh, ping pong tournament, but then he had the, the one, the moment with Brian Boyle during the series, right? Where he kind of, oh. you know, he's going to take on Brian Boyle and kind of gives him a little, little move to see if Boyle would flinch um, and then kind of laughs it off. So um, I game. think we, we kind of knew, by the way, by the way, the Ottawa Senator fan base and players talked about him. It's not a surprise that how well he's acclimated himself within that dressing room within the team. Plus he's someone that can do so many different things well, and you can put him all up and down the roster and plug him in where you need him. Um, so he's really the prototypical, prototypical type of Barry Trotz, Lou Lamarillo player, and it's uh, paying some early dividends uh, for the Islanders. We won't, we won't say I wanted to talk yet. about Let's see if they win the cup first. I don't know if he's going to reach the gold standard of uh, trade deadline deals. He has about, uh, yeah, he needs four Stanley Cups for that. The um, <laughs> other things I want to just talk about, some other performances and just moments in these series. Um, uh, Ryan Pulak saving the goal in game four, um, where obviously the game was going to be tied. Florida was going to be able to respond right after the Islanders had took back the lead. It was going to be a tie game. Who knows where things go? That play was, it was huge. Uh, it's an all-out effort, the type of effort you expect and have to have in the playoffs. Uh, but that, that Ryan Pulak uh, defensive effort uh, was was quite something in Game Four. You're 100 percent right. And you know, you look back, uh, you you look back on that play, and it was right. It was right after the Islanders took the three-one lead after Brock Nelson scored that power play goal, and the game could have totally changed on if if Pulak doesn't get his uh, his stick uh, in the middle of Barkov. And but that was just what Pulak was the entire series. He was a monster too the entire series. He he, he was tied with Taves uh, for most points by an Isles defenseman, and we saw that that hundred mile an hour slap shot that we were waiting for the entire season. He only did it a few times, but you know he came it came at the perfect time this series. But 
you know, even not even just that. Defensively, I thought he was great. I thought him and Pellick, you know, they did their job shutting down all Florida, the Florida's uh, heavy attack. But, you know, this could also – this is another – probably another moment that could propel Pulak to another level. You know, these playoffs, you know, they're not for the faint of heart. And, you know, you take guys like him who he's also looking to get paid, and hopefully I'm sure Lou Emeril will pay him, you know, hopefully after the season – but he's just another guy who is a part of the future of this team that, you know, it's little plays like that that tell you why he's so valuable to this team because that's commitment. That's everything Trotz has, has spoken of, everything he preaches. That's commitment. That's how you're going to win games. That's how you're going to win playoff series. It's those little, little details that, you know, are just so, so critical uh, to a team's success. So I thought, you know, the play was – phenomenal uh i think it was a game-saving play even though people will disagree because they still were up through one but who knows what happens so you know you could take it uh, you could take it however you want but you know Pulak, great in the series him Devontae, the entire defense i thought was really really good I, I i didn't really see much holes i didn't see much you know much time they spent in their own zone like we mentioned before and you know they got con- contributions from everywhere and you know, that's how it has to be if they're going to win the islands are built to win if they get contributions from up and down a lot of Four, they're a four-line team, and they're a defensively structured team. That's what's going to win them games, and that's what's going to be the bread and butter in the playoffs, and we've seen it so far, and you know, hopefully it continues. And Matt Barzell getting that breakaway goal, the dagger uh, that kind of put away the series um, on the breakaway. And, uh, you know, Barzy, Barzy, yeah, well, you got him going. You motivated him there. It was a big week for you, Rob. Um, But, um, you know, he – he needs to he needs to step up, step up. He needs to be not only a a guy that can um, be a playmaker, which we know he is, but you know, earlier in the year, um, he when when the Islanders were going so well, part of that was that he was shooting the puck and scoring goals. He wasn't just becoming a playmaker, um, and it was quite interesting some of the comments he made after after Game Four. Just it almost was like he admitted that he was not ready for the speed of the qualifying round playoff type atmosphere you know they played some scrimmages against each other they played the ranger game and he talked about that being you know 80 85 points and you know still being able to pick up points and set up plays and score goals and he said uh, for the first few games for myself i had to adapt i forgot almost how hard it is to score and get to the net how hard guys play you one-on-one so um you know pretty i thought that was quite interesting that he kind of admitted that um, and it's great that the Islanders, you know, despite the fact that, you know, he was a little slow out of the gate, were able to pick him up, and other people stepped up um, and scored um, without him having big games those first three games, but it looked like he finally was shot out of a cannon there in game four, and uh, they're going to need him to be playing at that level in the Capitol Series. They're definitely going to need him to be at that next that game four level. I think, you know, almost in a sense, the first three games in the series, I think it humbled Bar- uh, Matthew Barzell a little bit because, you know, we thought that he was going to be like the X factor coming into the series because, you know, he's got the speed. He's got all the intangibles. He's the Islanders' most dangerous forward, most dangerous and most, you know, applicable forward. And I just thought that, you know, the first two games, he just didn't look like himself. And I, I'm very, very, I was very, very intrigued by his quotes, like you said, after game four. I was also, I was kind of happy he said something like that because, you know, it shows that he still knows there's another level that he can get to. And, you know, he's going to be probably one of their biggest players, his biggest players going forward uh, against Washington because he is, he's their offensive threat. He's their biggest offensive threat. You know, right. You know, you could argue right now it's Anthony Pavilion, but it's still Matthew Barzell, you know, uh, every day, uh, including Sunday. So, 
I, I mean, I thought that the series was okay for him. I, we mentioned the game four, four performance, and that's the Barzi we know. That's the guy that we've seen who will take over a game and do – he'll just make the, the opponent's lives a nightmare just because he's so good at what he does, and he's so fast, and he's so quick. And, and you know, you do mention him shooting the puck. I, I agree with you on that. I, I think that moving forward, he, he does have to shoot the puck. I, I know he's still, he's still one of those guys – we saw it sometimes this year, at times this year, where he still likes to look for the pass. He still likes to be, by the, be the facilitator. No, we need this guy to shoot. And, you know, you saw in that breakaway goal against Sergei Bobrovsky in game four, which was basically the dagger, that when this guy shoots, he's got a great shot. I, I, I've said it for years and years since he came into the league. He's got a great shot. He just has to utilize it. And I don't think he has up until, you know, up until this year, I, you know, I, I forgot how many. I don't know. He had maybe what two twenty goal seasons already, but I think he he has thirty goal potential if he if he just decides to shoot the puck a lot more, and maybe this kind of playoffs where it's a little bit you know, you know throw throw anything against the wall and see if it works. Maybe this will be you know his breakout to where we know he could be an actual not even just a playmaker. He could be a legit goal scorer. Because we know he needs a goal mm-hmm. scorer on his right foot. You know, sometimes you got to take matters into your own hands. And if he could do that in the series, and that's going to be the way it is going forward, then, you know, he's going to be an even more elite player because he is, he's at that echelon where he's just near being a top five talent in this league. But I still, he still, I think, has some quirks in his game that he needs to fix. And I think one of them is, like we said, is shooting the puck. And if he does that, he could be just as good as anybody in this league. Even maybe on a Connor McDavid yeah, level, yeah. which I might get, I might get uh, a lot of flack for. <laughs> yeah, don't. Uh, I would retract that. I would retract retract that one immediately. There, Rob. Uh, Twenty two goals. Twenty two goals his rookie year. Eighteen is uh, first year playing in the Barry Trot system and had 19 goals in 68 games uh, this year. Remember, he was on that 30 goal pace early in the season, then kind of went on a drought. Yep. Um, uh, before we get going, I just want to talk just broadly about um, the NHL. I think has done an amazing job uh, with this tournament um, and the setup. And maybe it's because of the way that hockey plays on television, where you're not going to see a lot of the stands as is when you're watching the game Mm -hmm. going back and forth. Um, But the production quality of it has been, I think, great. And um, I'm a big time baseball fan. There's moments where baseball feels sad. I think right now, um, even though maybe that's just because I'm a Met fan and their bullpen has been atrocious <laughs> and gave away three, four games already. Um, but and basketball kind of feels, you know, basketball is not in the playoffs yet, so it kind of feels like what is this kind of, kind of, um, kind of pick me up basketball that they're playing that doesn't really mean much right now. The, the NHL, the, this NHL playoff format has has been great, I think, for the league. Um, I've really just enjoyed watching not only the Islander games but any game that's on television starting at noon through the rest of the night. And you had some remarks from Barry Trotz this week that caught me by surprise saying that he would almost be in favor of this 24 game format moving forward, uh, which I, you know, don't, the league has always been a little quirky in its history when it comes to playoff formats. I wouldn't put it past them to think that this is the way forward as well. This set, look, this setting is great for what it is. You know, in the times we are now, what the NHL has done, I think they've done a masterful job at, you know, bringing the game back and with the fan engagement and with just everything they've done for the players, for the teams, just for the sport itself. I think they've done a masterful job. What Barry Trotz said, 
it, you know, I, it's probably the only time ever since he's ever become head, since he took over as head coach, I will disagree with something he actually had to say. So uh, I'm uh, I'm putting it on the record right now. I disagree with something Barry Trotz has to say, but uh, and but you're right. You you're definitely right, Joe. The NHL, I think that they got they really got the message when they saw. I think when they saw that baseball, what was going on with them, and you know football not starting yet, and what basketball. I think that they took it upon themselves, especially Gary Bennett, and said, "Okay, this is our time to really show like what this league is all about." And they've done it. You know, it, it, and it's not even just with what they've done, what I was mentioning before, with the, but even with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, seeing guys kneeling and seeing guys put their fists in the air, it's just so, it's those little perks that make you show, that show that, you know, the game is changing and this is the kind of sport that you want to be a part of moving forward. And even the fact that we went straight into the playoffs and even though they were qualifying rounds, but straight into playoff hockey, it just showed the parity and the intensity of what this sport is all about. So, Everything they've done to this point has been fantastic. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Watching on TV, some of these games have been absolutely just a bad. They've been bangers to watch. And, you know, moving forward, I know there's not 24 teams anymore, but now it's going to get down to the real nitty-gritty, and now we're going to get some real, real intense playoff hockey. But moving forward, I don't agree with It's, uh, it's agree interesting. With yeah, yeah, it's no, interesting. Right. I can see the appeal to it. You know, you put a you – put a, you know, you put a uh, onus on having to finish in the top two in your division, uh, kind of to secure that that kind of first round playoff berth. And he's talking that because of the parity in the league, right? You know, between you know seven, eight, nine, ten, usually have a great amount of parity. Well, here you did not have parity during the regular season between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Montreal Canadiens. You did yeah. not have parity between <laughs> the Edmonton Oilers and. Um, and the Chicago Blackhawks, Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, 12 seeds, yeah. like the NCAA tournament, end up upsetting the fives in both conferences. So I understand the parity in terms of like what we see between like the Islanders, Blue Jackets, Hurricanes. Like those guys were they were all bunched up all year long, and someone was going to be on the outside looking in, right? But I don't know necessarily if you want to start rewarding the you know 12th place team in your conference of. 16 teams every year with an opportunity to knock off a team that might have finished with 15, 20 more points than them. So, but again, I would not be surprised if the NHL would adopt this. It would keep more teams obviously interested, uh, more fan bases interested longer. You'd have more uh, playoff type games and ticket sales for the, uh, for a five game series. Uh, Maybe nothing's imminent, but I wouldn't shut the door on that, especially if it has the support of people like Barry Trotz. Uh, if he likes it, there's a good chance that maybe some other traditionalists um, like it as well, because maybe as an NHL head coach, it's harder to get fired if you finish 11th and 12th and are in the tournament every year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that might be the but motivation you know what, you're, either. You're right. Um, you are right. The mm-hmm. parity, it's this league, you know, uh, a lot of the leagues, we, and I, we just mentioned it, you know, a few minutes ago, parity is one of the biggest things that draws people to a league or to a team. And, you know, the way it's different, it's, it, it's the situation now. It, that's what it's there for. But you know, 24 teams moving forward. I, I don't know. I, I could 20 teams, maybe. But I think you saw the, in terms of competition, why there were certain teams not selected to come into the bubble and to play in the 2014 playoffs. And if it's going to be like that, if this, if that's going to be the same situation going forward, you know, yeah, it will help the league draw a little bit more more attention to it. Sure, but. You know, you want to see competitive hockey, and you want to see 
you know, you want to see the, the better teams in the league. And that's no disrespect to, you know, the, Sa- the, the Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey Devils of the world. But, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. It's, you know, it's killed or be killed in a sense. You know, you got you to gotta, you gotta be one of the teams in the league that deserves to be there. And the Islanders were one, and I'm happy that they were there. And uh, if that's how it's going to be going forward, I, uh, the Islanders were one, but they were one. Bar- I mean, remember, they were one barely. I mean, they they were slip sliding down the standings. Yeah. And like, yeah. if we just use the example, let's say that the season continued, there was a lot of nervousness around where the Islanders were in the standings because the Rangers were playing some great hockey, Columbus was yeah. playing well, Carolina was playing well, and the Islanders were 0-3 and four in their last seven, had you know lost seven straight games. Would you feel that nervous about it if you were essentially? Well, we know we're going to be in the top 12. You know, we might not be the 7th seed. We might be the 11th seed, you know? Like, I don't necessarily mm-hmm. know. That might that would take away, I think, for the excitement of how the, and the feeling of how every game down the stretch means so much um, for the teams that are battling for the, you know, 6th, 7th, 8th spots in the playoffs every year if you were to ex- expand the format because if teams start to slide down the standings uh, towards the end of yeah. the season – there's you they probably can't slide far enough down to where they're going to be completely outside the top 12. So we'll see where that goes. Last thing I wanted to bring up, Rob, um, because again, it's been a tough week, I think for you in a number of ways, the Islanders went uh, for a trademark. You got all excited because they, they trademark your uh, recommendation, your suggestion, um, you know, the going from the barn to the bank and the bank, they had that trademark in there. You thought it was, you know, Signed, sealed, delivered, done deal. It's going to be the bank, UBS Arena. And then we find out this week they've trademarked uh, the stable, barn to stable, which, of course, yes, men outfitters uh, coined on a shirt uh, last season. So uh, just your quick thoughts on, on maybe the naming, nicknaming of the UBS Arena not going your way as well. I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, you know, you want to call it the stable, you want to call it that, that's fine. You want to call it the bank, it's whatever. I mean, with the thing that I didn't understand was the guy who tweeted about them changing the trademarks said that the Islanders received a ton of backlash. I did not see a ton of backlash. I saw some opinion on it, but for me, it's backlash. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, it must okay. follow me. But that wasn't that's not backlash. That's an that's a that's an opinion. But you know it you know it is what it is. Whatever you want to call it, it's going to be the, the new, it's going to be the new home of the New York Islanders. That's the only thing. That's the only name it needs to have. And it's going to be the stated the art yeah. home of the New York Islanders. That's all you need to know. So, yeah, just a just a banner week for me, and you know, hopefully, I can have another one this week <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> uh, sounds good, Rob. Excited to uh, watch more Islanders hockey this upcoming week, and we'll do this again. Thanks for having me, Joe. So that'll do it for this episode of PT Isles. Uh, special thanks once again for Rob Taub for joining us. Follow him on Twitter at rtaub underscore. And I know we just watched a lot of intense hockey over the last week or so, but that was qualifying round hockey. The playoffs, the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs starts this week, and it will be the New York Islanders against Barry Trotz's former team, the Washington Capitals, which should be a fantastic and hopefully long playoff series. Unless the Islanders somehow complete, then we could hope that it's a short playoff series. Um, but we get to watch more Islander hockey in August. And um, the way they played against the Florida Panthers, if they do that again, they have a chance of knocking off this capital team. And the NHL may not have any choice but to have the Islanders play in prime time eventually. 
We will talk to you next week, Islander's Country. Good night. 